theology. Um, theology is first of all biblical. There's extra theology which is not biblical, which is foreign to the scripture, but theology is first and foremost a biblical event. That is, theology happens in the pages of the Bible. That's where we get our theology from. Secondly, theology is systematic. Theology is systematic. If you look at, like, the Apostle Paul's word for justification, the word justification means just as if I never sinned, but beyond that, as you go back, you'll notice that justification is not present a lot in the Old Testament, at least not the way the Apostle Paul uses it. So when, I, when you think about theology and you think about systematic, I want you to think about keys on a piano board. You have the white keys and you have the black keys. Let me see if I can cut this on. So when theology, it is going to work, right? <laughs> there we go, I think it's on. So when theology is correct, it, it almost sings. But when it's not, when you have bad theology, it doesn't sound right, and it doesn't look right, and it doesn't, you can't believe it. But when you have perfect theology, think of it as... Perfect harmony. And that's what systematic theology does. It takes themes of the Bible, and it runs with them throughout to find a, co a coherent uh, system of formulating the doctrine that we have. Theology interacts with humanity. That is, as you study the Bible, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength we will sing and praise your power. It interacts with us. Many of you have read the scriptures, and all of a sudden you come to a verse, and that verse speaks to you. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that the creator of the world is interacting with you on a personal level. That's also special revelation, which we'll get into a little bit later. Thir uh, fourthly, theology is contemporary. I happen to believe the Bible speaks at all times and all generations and in and all seasons. That means when we go to the Word of God, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can take the Word of God and apply it to our situation. And God speaks to us, and therefore, theology is contemporary. But theology beyond that is also practical. It's practical. And I know if you sit into a Theology 101 class or a Theology 102 class, you think, well, it's not really practical. But let me give you a practical application of theology from Second uh, Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the God's trumpet. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Now look at this next line. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Theology is practical in the sense is that, yes, you have a doctrine that you based on theology. This doctrine, and this is where we get our doctrine of the rapture, and rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. 
but we get our, our word from this, rapture. And this is, this is the theological foundation for practical life. The practicality of theology is that it comforts our hearts. So as we move through here now, we're going to look at uh, what I call Theology 101, God's Revelation. God's Revelation, Theology 101. I think a good quote, um, Millard Erickson has a, has a good quote about this. Because humankind is finite and God is infinite, we cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. That is, unless he manifests himself to humans in such a way that they can know and fellowship with him. There's a couple of things here. One is we're finite. That is, we are limited in our understanding of God in and of ourselves. We cannot know God apart from the infinite God. That is, God is so deep and so rich that our little brains cannot comprehend God. But he will manifest himself to us in ways that we can fellowship with him. And that's what we see when we come to the scripture. God is interacting with us as we come to the scripture. Now, there are two types of revelation. It's a little smaller down here, but I used a different PowerPoint slide. So there are two types of revelation. One is general revelation. That is God's communication of himself. And this should open up when we get to Psalm 19. God's communication of himself to all people at all times. That is God's general revelation. That he is communicating with all people and at all times. And I maintain it is found specifically in Psalm 19, but in many other places in the, in the Bible. Then there is what's called, and you'll start to see this a little bit, God's special revelation. God's particular communication of himself to specific persons at specific times. Let me just throw one out for you. The day that God confronted you with salvation. That is a special revelation. But we're going to talk today about general revelation. And general revelation is found, and this is one of many verses, by the way. I just chose this because it was, it was short and that we could deal with it in a, in a certain time frame. This is God's general revelation. Now, I love what C.S. Lewis said about this. I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. C.S. Lewis, and that's his reflections on the Psalms, and C.S. Lewis himself was a great thinker. He was a deep theologian and loved God with all of his heart, and he came to this verse, these verses, verses 1 through 4, and said, oh, they are so rich, they are so deep. So I would like to begin there. Psalm 19 is a psalm of David. And I want you to think of this psalm in two voices. Two voices. The first voice is in verses 1 through 6, and that is the creation. The second voice in 7 through the end of the chapter is the Torah, the second voice of God. So you have two voices, both in a general revelation sense in which God will uh, speak to all of us. Now, as we begin, I want you to, I want you to see how this is going. And it, it's, I think this may radically change the way, that you view, the way that you view creation. I think it will. But, of course, that's what every pastor thinks when he goes into the pulpit. They're going to get this, and it's going to be great, and wow. Uh, so anyway, 
Creation declares God. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's simple enough, right? The word heavens there refers to the atmosphere or to the firmament. The word declare is safe, safe owl, which means to announce. So the heavens announce something. What is it announcing? The glory, not the word doxa that we're used to. The word doxa meaning uh, his, his majesty, his radiance. That's not the word that David wrote when he wrote here. It is kavod. Now listen to this. This is important. This word is translated 11 different ways in the Old Testament. It can mean the glory of God. It can mean the honor of God. It can mean the wealth of God. It can mean the power of God. And it can mean the abundance of God. But you know what I think it means here because of the handiwork that is mentioned just below it? Listen, if I read it this way, if, if I read it this way to you, tell me if, if, if it starts coming into focus. Watch this. The atmosphere announces the person of God. The heavens announce the person of God. So when, so when we go outside and we look up, it is announcing who God is. God is intimately tied to his creation. So it is screaming, I am God. I am God. And then he goes on to add here in verse 1, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the sky above, which would include the moon, the stars, and all of this part of this. Um, so when, when, when we look at this, the sky does something. It tells us something about God. It proclaims his handiwork. The word proclaim means to tell. So in one sense, the heavens are announcing the personage of God. And on the other hand, the sky is proclaiming his handiwork, Yod. That's a simple word in Hebrew, Yod. You know what that means? His fingers, his palm, his hands. And when you couple it with this, the sky proclaims God's work with his hands. So not only are the heavens declaring the person of God, it is also connecting God to the one who created everything with his hands. I love this picture. It is the hand of God creating the world. And do you know what's part of creation? Think of if we got a picture as a Christian body, if we got a picture that we were created in the image of God, how would we view each other differently than we do now? Because each of you were created wonderfully and magically, uh, majestically in the, in the image of God. Every one of you were. You are part of that creation. And here, the, the psalmist is saying, 
the sky also is telling about God's work. Wow. But the question is, is that enough? You've heard the debate. If somebody has never heard the name of Jesus, is it enough? Um, if they are in a remote place, um, is it possible that, that, uh, that they would go to heaven? Um, that's a really good question. But that's not till later in the series. But I just throw it out there so you have to come back. But I will say this. The heavens declare the person of God. The skies tell of his work. Seems to be on the Apostle Paul's mind when he wrote Romans 1.20. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they, men, are without excuse. In other words, and when we get to this next section, you're going to go, bam, okay, I got it. So here you have God's creation. The Apostle Paul realized this, the specialness of that creation and realized that, wait a minute, it is possible to look at the creation, to look at the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, and you could sit there and go, there has to be something. There has to be someone who created this that is greater than I. And the Apostle Paul says, yes, there is. It shows God's invisible power of the creation. And so Paul, Paul is going all the way back, you could say, to Psalm 19, confirming what David writes about the heavens declaring the person of God. Because the person of God cannot be separated from his creation. You cannot separate God from the creation of the world because God is the creator. And therefore, as the creator, he is supposed to be worshipped. And yet man comes along and messes all of that up. They worship the creature rather than the creator. And so the apostle Paul says, no, you can't, you can't get away with that because you see this. You can't possibly get away from that. So, creation declares the glory of God, but also nature speaks about God. Verse 19, 2. Now, this is the, uh, in your outline, this is the understanding. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Okay, so the, David here says... Day to day, night to night, what David is talking about is Yom, a 24-hour period. That was the same length of time between each of the creation acts of God in the book of Genesis chapter 1. It's a 24-hour period, but it's not just one and done. Notice what he says here. Day to day and night to night, this is a continual period. Uh, taking place in, in the speech of, listen to this, day-to-day -day pours out speech. Nava Omer, Nava Omer. And that means it gushes forth words. So what David is saying is that the creation that God created is gushing forth words but we don't hear them, or do we, or do we? 
let me throw something at you that might explode this verse into your heart. In Genesis, when God created the world, let me just throw this out there, and I want you to chew on it. Watch this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. When David writes here, day to day pours forth the speech, I believe what he's saying is the original language that God used to create the world. It is still speaking of the creation and the creator, God. Yodeh Haveh, the creator of everything. And when God spoke it, it is still speaking. It is still reverberating through the world. That is, God's word is still being spoken by him through the creation. Wow. I know many of, many of you know this is a picture that I took of the moon, by the way, through my telescope. And you can see the creators, or the, not the creators, the craters here in the, in the, in the moon. And when I get a better camera, I'm going to have much better pictures, by the, by the way, I know. But uh, this is up close. This was using my three times Barlow lens to get this close and could have gotten closer on a full moon. Now, when I go out at night and I look up into the sky and I'm looking at that moon and I'm looking at Saturn and I'm looking at all the other planets that are out there, you know what is going through my mind? Wow, look what God created. Look what God created. And you can't escape it. And it says here, day by day and night by night, it pours out. Nava Omir gushes forth words. And not only that, but it reveals knowledge. And I'll put it to you this way. It gives the person understanding of who God is. Do you think God is a small God? God is a big God. He is an awesome God. And we sing about that. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Well, you look at... I've, I've heard scientists talk about it. It all started from this. You know what? I don't have enough faith to believe that the starfish and the mammals and humans all started from a little molecule. I don't have enough faith to believe that garbage. Because the Bible says that God spoke it into existence. Out of nothingness, God spoke it into existence. And his spirit hovered among the, over the water. And, the, and the, everything just started from that point. God just spoke it. And this verse, these verses confirm that God's creation is still speaking to the world today. Wow. But not only that, verse 3, nature speaks about God as well. Nature speaks about God. This is, uh, this is in the silence. Now listen to this. This is interesting. There is no speech, nor are there words, 
whose voice is not heard. Say what? There is no speech. He just got through saying it gushes forth. But yet there are some, there are some who do not hear it or cannot perceive it. There is no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Peter Craigie gives a great quote here, and I think it's dead on. The poet conveys something of the subtleness of nature's praise of God. It is there. Creation is there. Yet its perception is contingent upon the observer. To the sensitive, the heavenly praise of God's glory may be an overwhelming experience. Look at what God did. When you go out to the river and you watch the, the sunrise or the sunset, or when we were in Hawaii, we were on the 13th floor or so on, this, uh, on the uh, west end of the island, and we could watch the sun set. It was beautiful. And we, we could sit out on our little, and it was little, we could sit out on our little deck there and watch. It was just beautiful, and you could be overwhelmed by it. That's for those who are sensitive. He goes on to say, whereas those who are insensitive, that is, those who do not know God, versus the sensitive, those who have been touched by God. All they see is the sky, stars, and they're only stars, and they point to nothing beyond. I don't know why I get fixated on the moon, but I just love it. It's just a reminder of God's. It's a visible reminder to us. And I'm, I, sometimes I probably shouldn't do this. I'm driving it. I'm looking up at the moon. Do you see that? You know, but, um, and then I, I look at all the people, and they're just walking around, and I go, don't you guys see what God has done? Look at this. Look at the stars. And they're going into Walmart, and they're doing this, and they're oblivious. Oh, that's just the moon. That's just the stars. That's no big deal. It's a huge deal because our Father created them. Wow. This is why, folks. 1 Corinthians 2.14 the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Believers know that God created the universe. Everything in it. The skies, the mammals, the animals, the planets, all of us. And, and by the way, in case you don't know this, Pluto is no longer a planet. I know that's... Sad for you, it's the furthest one from us, but it's no longer a planet. But we know as Christians that God is the creator of the universe. We know that. For us, for us, look at verse 4. Their voices go out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Hmm. For us, we know that God is the creator. And the good news is, you know, God created you and me in his image. And in the image of them, he created them, male and female. And God hung the stars into place, the galaxies, 
everything and it's still speaking today. The creation still speaks based on the, the, the word, let there be light. Let there be animals. Let all, these are all speaking the words of God. And so often we just kind of, even as Christians maybe, kind of pass it by and go, eh, okay. And maybe when you go out tonight or you go out today and you look up in the sky and you look at the trees, my wife sent me a, a thing yesterday, I believe it was, where the tree resembles the human lung in the way in its complexity. And I was like looking at that and it's like, wow, it's 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 like a carbon copy. Uh, when you look at the the lines in the trees and you look at the lines in, in the lungs, it's amazing. And I would tell you about Mr. Nagy, but I think I've already told you about that one where he but I'll go ahead and share it anyway because I put it down. So, Mr. Nagy was a atheist in the Cuyahoga Falls school system. And I was in his class one day and I was a student advocate helping uh, one of the students in there. And Mr. Nagy talked about the starfish. Uh, and he gave, he said, you know, the starfish goes along the bottom and it cleans and, and uh, these fish come along and they and they take this and they they eat this and and he gave a great overview of the starfish. I was actually kind of excited. I also knew that uh, Mr. Nagy did not believe in God. He was an atheist. He told me that in the teachers' lounge when he found out I was a pastor. In class that day, when all the bell rang and the kids left, I stayed behind and I go, Mr. Nagy, I just want to tell you something. That was awesome. And he like looked at me kind of skeptical. And I said, no, no, no. It was awesome the way that you explained the starfish. I said, I learned a lot from it. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. And I said, you know how the starfish did this and the starfish does that and how these how these, these plankton and all this stuff works together. I said, you know, Mr. Nagy, it looks like it was designed. Mr. Nagy looked at me and had an aha moment. Because the very science that he was teaching was confirming the fact that this is way too much of an accident to be an accident. I think something switched in that man when I said that. I took his own science to prove or to at least seed the fact that this was created. I just said, wow, Mr. Nagy, it looks like this was designed. Yeah. Nature speaks of God. Theological implications just of this verse. Number one, the created world reveals the reality of God. You cannot wish it away. You cannot... Uh, and in fact, like I said earlier, it takes way too much faith to believe that one thing started the bang and everything just fell into place. It, it is foolishness to believe that kind of stuff. And yet that's what world scientists are trying to get you to believe, that it all came. It, 
There's so much order. It is so perfect. There is nothing. I mean, did you know that the, the earth's surface has just enough grass on it to sustain human life? We are on just the right axis to, set, to sustain human life. Those are just improbables. You could not roll a dice or dice and roll them, and have, you would have to roll 12s all the way through to equate what God has done in one breath. Yeah. You simply cannot get away from it. You can't. It's impossible. And th this is just one verse, brothers and sisters. Look through the Old Testament. Look, look through the New Testament about the creation. And Paul says the creation is groaning, waiting for redemption. Wow. Secondly, this is in your outline. The witness of God's grandeur is continual. God's created work is still screaming, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I am the creator. Thirdly, to those who are inclined to hear, God's revelation is understood. To those who do not want to hear, it's just passed off as one event Think about the stupidity of the Big Bang Theory. And somebody said, well, the Big Bang Theory could be God. No, God cre didn't create from one molecule. God spoke it into existence. Ex nihilo, out of nothingness, God spoke it into existence. So it, you, you, have, you have to be, um, you'd have to have a, a lot more faith than I have to believe that. Some are inclined to hear, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that God created this. We know that God is the creator of the universe and that he also had a plan to redeem mankind. And he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sins. Died, rose again, and praise be to God. He lives, so we live, right? But for those who do not, who do not believe, they will not understand is there one person in your life today that needs to know Jesus Christ you know use this just use the four verses that we used this morning look for opportunities to give people that aha moment I still I still to this day remember seeing Mr. Nagy's face it was like uh oh maybe I taught too well Praying that people get that aha moment. That they will come to know the Redeemer that we know.